Happy Passion Tide. Passion Tide is the last two weeks of Lent. We know it's Passion Tide because our statues are veiled. If we pay particular attention to the texts of the prayers and the scripture passages chosen, we also see a deliberate shift in the way the church prays as we enter into Passion Tide and focus all the more on our Lord's imminent death and glorious resurrection. On this Passion Tide Sunday, I'd like to give you a passionate homily. I'd like to speak about a very basic building block and understanding of Christian theology, which often goes unspoken. I was well into my third year of seminary before I had ever heard this in my whole entire life. I was born and raised Catholic. It was my third year of seminary before I had heard what is known as the spousal, the nuptial, or the marital analogy of salvation. The spousal, the marital, or the nuptial analogy of salvation. It's really the most beautiful way to understand God's love for us, our love for God, and the God's plan for salvation. And it's all caught up in the love between a man and a woman. That's why as these definitions are being eroded by our culture, we as Christians must fight. Raise your hand if you're a man. Okay, raise your hand if you're a woman. Okay, great. If you are a man, I want you to say the word Christ. Gentlemen, Christ. if you're a woman, I would like you to say the word church. Ladies, church. Men, Christ. women, church. Men, Christ. women, church. Men, Christ. women, if you go out throughout the entirety of the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is a very clear and laid out plan that God is madly and passionately in love with a woman, and that woman is the church. And he wants to woo her and espouse her and ultimately impregnate her with divine life and be in eternal communion with his bride for all eternity. Men, you are an image of... Christ. Women are an image of the... Church. The beautiful, spotless bride. There is a love story that goes well beyond our time. That began in the book of Genesis. And finds its culmination in the book of Revelation. And that is the love between Christ and his church. And we see it ultimately in the relationship between men and women. This idea of men being images of Christ and women being images of the church is not exclusive. It does not mean that women are not called to be like Jesus. Men are called particularly to be like Christ upon the cross. Willing to protect, defend, uplift, love, glorify, and serve women to the point of shedding their blood. Every husband's ultimate call 
is to protect, defend, uplift, love, and glorify and serve his wife and his children to the point of dying. That is the definition of a man in marriage. It's not to say that women aren't called to protect, defend, uplift, and love and glorify and serve their children. That's not the case. Just as it is not the case that women who are called to be images of the church, that men are not called to be part of the church. Raise your hand if you're baptized. You're part of the church. You are the church, which means that all of you, all of us, men and women, are the church. But women, gloriously, are given the invitation through sacred scripture, through tradition, and through our theology, to understand that they specifically are invited by God to realize that they are the church. And that their femininity, their receptivity, their nurturing, their fertility, is all a reminder of the beauty of the bride of Christ, which is the church. And this is why all throughout scripture we have unnamed women who have very powerful and prominent roles. Because those unnamed women are, are specifically and intentionally left unnamed because those women are the church. Which means every time that we encounter one of these unnamed women, all of us should realize, whoa, that's me. That's the church. So who do we encounter in today's gospel passage? The woman caught in adultery. What is the woman symbolic of? So who's actually caught in adultery? Raise your hand if you've ever sinned. You're an adulterer. Because you've chosen something before our God. The woman at the well, who also was an adulterer, having seven husbands. For those of you who just piously prayed the Stations of the Cross, what is the eighth station? The eighth station. Jesus meets the weeping. Who is weeping? The church. What does Jesus call his mother from the cross? Who is he calling to? He's calling to you and I from the cross. You see, when God created man and woman in the book of Genesis, he created them in his image and his likeness. And the image and likeness of God is found in the love between a man and a woman. Ultimately, finding its destiny in Christ becoming man and espousing and marrying his church. I'd like to go deeper into this image of man and woman, Christ and church. And so I'm going to have my servers come forward. I actually need some volunteers. You can do this. You're great. You got one? Great. Look at this. You guys go up in this top step. You guys are fantastic. Look at this. <laughs> I was just going to say, all women. <laughs> okay, so this morning we are going to look at the story of Snow White. You might think this is absolutely crazy, but just follow where we're going. I would like to use the 
Disney cartoon version of Snow White as par excellence an image of the love between a man and a woman. And I will tell you that Disney World, Disney every 10 years changes the skin color and the songs, but it's the exact same story. And they make billions of dollars off of all of you suckers. <laughs> then every 20 years, they bring the movies back out again, and you go back to the movie theater and see them again, even though you have them on VHS, DVD, and live stream. So the story of Snow White. You'll notice that there's back city signs. Don't worry about that yet. You'll know that. Story of Snow White. There is a woman who is longing with all of her heart to be loved. She is hoping, longing, and yearning for someone to come and love her. She is a woman, which means that she is the So then, a man shows up, a prince. A man shows up, a prince. He's a man, which means that he is He is Christ. Thank you very much. I would like to know particularly that in the Disney film, he jumps over a wall, and then he meets the woman at a well. They fall passionately in love, but they're only together for just a very, very short moment. Then, all hell breaks loose. As the stepmother, notice that it's not the mother, by the way. It's not the mother, it's a stepmother, which is, which is quintessential. The stepmother, who is the queen, has a sin that she has in her life. It's the sin of envy. Jealousy is when you, ha when you see what someone else has and you want what they have. That's jealousy. Envy is when you want what they have and you don't want them to have it. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? It is Snow White. She is more beautiful than me. I will kill her. She cannot have what she has. Her sin is envy. She wants Snow White dead. Notice how in every Disney film, in every Disney film, the power of evil always attacks the woman and doesn't attack the man. Who is the woman? The woman is... The man is... Who can Satan not kill? But who can Satan attack all he wants? What does Satan want more than anything? For you to die in mortal sin. Snow White is a very smart girl. So in the midst of evil, she has a choice. She can fight or flight. So what does she choose to do? She chooses to run, which is what all of you should do in the face of evil as well. She runs into the woods and she encounters the seven dwarfs. Notice that these are seven men. This is essential as well. They're little, they're small, they're tiny, and they dig up diamonds out of the ground. And they enter into a covenant relationship. The power of evil, the queen, is up to her old tricks. So she wants Snow White dead, so she disguises herself and she presents to Snow White what? An apple. Hmm, very interesting. She takes a bite from the apple and she... She falls asleep. She does not die, but she falls asleep. She is put in a beautiful crystal casket and she awaits the second coming of the who is who. So the second coming of the prince. He comes, he kisses her, and she rises. 
and they then live happily ever after. So let's decode this story. Women are always an image of the church. Men are an image of Christ. So here we have, you're going to just drop the, you'll drop it. There we go. So Snow White is hoping and praying. Snow White is the church. She is the bride. She is the woman. And she is hoping and praying. And here is our opening hit song from Snow White. I'm wishing, I'm wishing for the one I love to find me, to find me today. Now, no, please, please, sir. I want to make something very, very clear. In my analogy, Snow White is clearly Jewish. She has pale skin and dark hair, but whatever. Why is she Jewish? Because she is the Old Testament. What is the entire Old Testament? I'm hoping, I'm wishing for the one I love to... What is the entire song of the people of God in the Old Testament? They are longing for who to come. Yeah, if any of you are Jewish this morning, just so you know, he's in the gold box. He came. His name is Jesus, and he is the Savior of the world. And he came. And he is your Lord and your lover. And that is what we as Christians celebrate. The fact that we have the Savior of the world. That he came to us. So where does, where does she meet this prince? So first of all, it's very interesting that he jumps over a wall, which is a, a division between heaven and earth, and he meets her where? At a well. What is the well symbolic of? Well, a baptismal font. Raise your hand if you're a member of the church. Where did you become a member of the church? At a wishing well. Where you were literally bathed and made a bride of Jesus. And you were dressed in white, as a bride is dressed in white. And you met your spouse at the waters. They kiss. He then disappears. And as soon, and I'm just going to tell you, this happens every single time someone's baptized. As soon as someone is baptized, Satan hates them. Satan hates women. Who is more attacked in our world, women or men? Because what does Satan know? If I destroy the feminine, if I destroy the woman, I am victorious. So the queen, who is Satan, and what is the sin of Lucifer? What is the sin of Satan? Envy, if you know your theology of the angels. It's a sin of envy. And what is, what is, we're doing great, Jude. The power of evil attacks the woman. Notice how the power of evil does not attack the man. It's so, 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 so clear. So, Snow White does what? Snow White runs. And who is she aided by in the woods? The seven dwarfs. So what does the church do? The church runs away from Satan, but who is the church actually running, not away from, but running towards? It's not the seven dwarfs, it's the seven sacraments, which are small, tiny, and insignificant in the eyes of the world. The pouring of water, the giving of a blessing, the anointing with oil, the taking of bread, the taking of wine. Small, tiny, insignificant actions and gestures that are more glorious and more costly than any diamond in the world because they are eternal life, because they are given to us by who? Christ. And they are Christ. 
in the midst of our exile, in the midst of danger, in the midst of hurt and pain and ache, Christ comes to us in these seven sacraments. But Satan does not give up. And Satan is always up to the same old tricks. You see, one of my favorite saints, St. John Vianney, says Satan is really, really stupid because he always does the same things. We just keep falling for it. If you think about it in your life, and I hear this all the time for people who don't go to confession, they're like, Father, I stopped going to confession because I just kept confessing the same thing. And my response to them always is like, well, then why don't you do something different in your life? Our life changes when our habits change, right? Why do we keep committing the same sins? Because we don't change our lives. Satan always does the same thing. So what does the old hag show up and present to Snow White? An apple. What happened in the book of Genesis? Satan showed up and presented an apple to a woman. It's been happening for 2,000 years as Christians, and even more than that in all of humanity. Take out your iPhone right now. What's in the back of your iPhone? An apple with a bite taken out of it. And how many of you again and again and again hate yourself for pornography on your phone, gambling on your phone, gossip, social media, technology that enslaves you and keeps you from loving your spouse, your children, your neighbor, and your God. And yet, you still have your phone. Satan always does the same thing. We have to change. Your life changes when your habits change. Snow White bites from the apple. She does not die. She falls asleep. In hopes that who will come? The prince, which is called the second coming of Jesus. Every time you drive by a cemetery, you are not driving by a bunch of dead people. Those people are all asleep. And they await the second coming of Jesus where he will judge them and they will go to heaven or hell. But they will rise again. In the story of Snow White, the prince comes and he kisses his bride. He kisses Snow White, who he longs for and she longs for him. And then what happens? They ride off happily ever after eternal life, to communion, and to intimacy. If you actually watch the Disney film, as he puts Snow White onto his horse, and as they gallop off, literally, they aren't galloping off to anywhere but to the clouds, which then form a castle with gates that open for them. You are the bride of Christ because you are the church, and he loves you so much. And every woman in this church, you bear within your very body the reminder of who the church is and what the church is and the dignity and the beauty that Christ desires for all of us, male and female. 
do we realize the glory that God created us for? Made in his image and in his likeness. God wants to marry you. I'm going to take these, actually, you three ladies, you four ladies can take those home with you. <laughs> Round of applause for these great helpers. You can take those home with you. Servers, you can take your seats. Men are an image of, women are an image of the, God wants to marry you. And in every marriage, we have free, faithful, and fruitful love. The three F's of marriage. If you don't want an F in marriage, you need to know the three F's of marriage. Free, faithful, and fruitful. Every marriage is dependent upon two individuals who freely enter into a covenant. God does not force us to love him. I know many of you want your children and your grandchildren, you pray oftenly that God will force them to love him, but he can't. Because love is free. Love is faithful. So marriage is faithful. It is a promise of faithfulness. God will always be faithful, even though we always are not. And marriage also ends in a one flesh union that brings forth life. I want you to think about what happens at this altar. Christ, the divine groom, becomes bodily present on this altar. And the church comes forward to receive the flesh of her spouse into their bodies at Holy Communion. What happens right here? The nuptial, spousal, marital embrace of Christ and his church. Why? so that we can go and bear fruit in the world. On this Passion Tide, on this Passion Tide Sunday, the church is veiled. The church veils her statues, not because they're bad, but because they're so good. The church has a custom of veiling things that are feminine. For those of you who know a Romance language, there are feminine and masculine and neuter words. The church veils things that are feminine. The word statue is statua, feminine. A chalice is veiled because it's feminine. Tabernacles are often veiled because they're feminine. The church veils you on the day of your sacraments because you're the bride of Jesus. What were you veiled in on the day of your baptism? What color? What were you veiled in the day of your first Holy Communion? What were you veiled in on the day of your wedding? And you weren't veiled in white on the day of your wedding because you were a virgin, because some of you weren't, but you still wore white because you are the bride of Jesus. And women, on the day of your wedding, you wish that you were marrying Jesus, and some of you still wish that today. On the day that you are buried, you will be brought to the church, and in the back of the church, the church will veil you in what color? Because you are a bride. Ladies, on the day of your first Holy Communion, you wore a veil on your head. On the day of your wedding, you wore a veil on your head. And for those of you who are old, you remember that you didn't dare walk into a church without a veil on your head. And if you did, they put a Kleenex on your head. Why? 
not because you were bad, not because you were ugly, because you were beautiful, mysterious, and life-giving. Because your dignity and your beauty and worth was meant for one person. And that was your divine groom who loves you. So that leads us to today's gospel where there is a woman. And who is the woman? And she is unveiled. She is exposed. She has been exploited. She has been found immodest. And her accusers stand gawking at her. Seeing her in her sin. And they are ruthless. And that is you and that is me. Caught in our sin. And we who have been veiled through baptism, through the seven sacraments given to us by our divine groom, have chosen to unveil and to expose and to allow ourselves to be exploited by the world and by what we think will bring us pleasure and happiness, but it never does. And Jesus Jesus stands between her and these men and he veils her with his mercy. He covers her with his grace. He clothes her with dignity. Because he does not see a woman caught in adultery. He sees his bride. He sees his wife. He sees the one he is called to live with forever. And he calls forth from her and into her who she truly is. You are my bride, and I love you. I don't know what sins you bring to this church today, but you need to hear the voice of Jesus who says, I will defend you. I will veil you, I will clothe you, and you were made for so much more. On this Passion Tide Sunday, I'd like to speak about one particular issue in our world that has to do with being unveiled. And this sin is veiled in secrecy and in darkness and it is destroying people's lives. And today I would like to expose it and bring it to the light. And that is the sin of pornography. As a priest, I am seeing more and more marriages end because of addiction to pornography. I'm seeing young children again and again addicted and shackled 
to this sin. And if we understand who these are images of and videos of, they are images and videos of Jesus' bride. Exploited, unveiled, mocked, and sold for a price. And it is no different than what we hear in today's gospel passage. As individuals gawk and look on, accuse. If you are an individual who struggles with this sin, I want you to know and hear today that there is healing. That just as this woman was defended and uplifted by Christ in her own sin, there is healing for all of us. Go to confession, be honest. Go to adoration. I often encourage people who are addicted to this sin to spend as much time in front of the Blessed Sacrament adoring the only flesh that we are called to adore for the amount of time that they have wasted their lives looking at images of flesh that they are not called to adore that is someone else's wife or husband. To pray the rosary, to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, to find a counselor and to realize that on that same internet that these images are looked at, there is healing, there are resources, and there is help. Parents and spouses, we need to collectively own the exploitation and the unveiling that is taking place in our world. The average age now of internet exposure is eight. And for those of you who do not know what is happening in the porn industry, this is not magazines that you saw 30, 40, 50 years ago. This is violent abuse. And this is child abuse when children are exposed to this. That damages their image of their body, of marriage, and of family for the rest of their lives. We must fight. If you have the financial means to have a computer in your home, to have a phone with the internet on it, to have tablets and devices, you have the financial means to have filters and blockers that keep these things out of your home. One out of every three parents knows the passwords to their children's electronic devices, and they own them. Parents, that cannot be the case. You must know the password to every device in your home. That is your responsibility. Your children do not own them. Not in this house. All computers, television, and electronic devices should always be used only in an open area where someone else can see what they're looking at. Which means that there's three words that technology should never, ever, ever be in. Three rooms that start with one word that technology should never be in. What are those three, those three rooms that all start with the same letter? The letter is B. Bedroom, bathroom, and basement. But Father... My bed, no, no, your bedroom has a word attached to it. It's called bed. It's meant for sleeping. You study, you talk, and you socialize in rooms called family rooms. That's called a family. 
But Father, like, how am I going to wake up in the morning? I mean, like, Father, my, my alarm, that's called an alarm clock. You can buy one for less than $5. And you'll actually sleep at night. Because every study says that people who sleep with their phones do not get a good night's rest. Every family needs to have a common, common charging statement, station in the kitchen where all electronic devices are charged and every parent is able to see those electronic devices before they go to bed. We were not created to be glow worms who glow throughout the night. Parents, if you do not know this, your children can delete their searching histories. If you do not know how technology works, your children, your children can teach you. And so can your next door neighbor. Families need to have honest, difficult conversations and dialogues about something that is destroying marriage and the future of marriages. Why? Because you matter. Because the person next to you matters. Because your children matter. Because your wife and your husband matter. Because the church matters. Because the church is the bride of Christ. I wait and pray for the day that the men of our church will rise up and say enough is enough. That they will stand in defense of the beauty and dignity and worth of femininity and say enough is enough. No more. Not in my home. Not in my community. Not in my church. My brothers and sisters, as we enter into passionate tide, we are called to do so passionately, realizing that there is a love story, not a story of adultery, not a story of accusation, not a story of judgment, but a story of love that God has written in your heart and in mine. And all of us as his bride are welcomed to this feast. Let's pray for the grace, my brothers and sisters, to see as God sees. To see everyone as a child of God, to see everyone as a bride of Christ. And to live this love story with passion and with zeal. Through God's grace, may it be so.